Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Lucinda Halpern. Lucinda is a literary agent with over 15 years of experience and the founder of Lucinda Literary based in New York. Prior to founding her agency, she worked in the publicity division of HarperCollins, where she assisted on the media campaign for Freakonomics, among other New York Times bestsellers. She later worked as a marketing consultant for Gretchen Rubin on The Happiness Project before launching her career as an agent. She has worked with all major publishers, including Penguin Random House, Simon & Schuster, Macmillan, Hachette, and Scholastic, and currently represents New York Times and internationally best-selling authors in the categories of business, health, lifestyle, popular science, narrative nonfiction, memoir, and upmarket fiction. A recent success of hers has been the Black Girls Must Die Exhausted series with HarperCollins. Her classes and coaching programs have been taught to hundreds of writers worldwide and became the inspiration for Lucinda's new book, Get Signed, Find an Agent, Land a Book Deal, and Become a Published Author, which releases through Hay House and Penguin Random House on February 6th, which is coming up very soon. Lucinda, thank you for listening to me go through your bio. There's a lot there. (laughs) There is a lot there. I was just thinking, I represent a lot of books, (laughs) a lot of of genres. Well, thanks for joining us. I appreciate you coming on board and congrats on finishing the book and it coming out pretty soon. That's really exciting. Thank you. What a process. What an eye-opening meta experience that has been, you know, kind of like the the doctor becoming the patient. And I'm excited to talk about it on this podcast. Yeah. my first question on the podcast is always the same. I know we talked about it briefly before we started, but for the listeners, I know that at one point, many agents were based in New York. Is that still the case? And are you still here? So it's not the case anymore. Um, I am still based in New York. I grew up in New York, uh, family here, hard to leave. Uh, the major publishers are still here. So I do find it to be a great benefit that I'm you know, just a subway ride away from all of those publishers, and can meet regularly with editors and other agents and scouts. But there are plenty of agents who have gone elsewhere, which is which is wonderful. So much of our work is done virtually now. Is it as important these days for writers to be based around a city or a hub like New York City, or does it matter? So I think it's actually an advantage not to be. <laughs> um, it's great, again, for networking purposes. If you can find your way to meeting with an agent or editor in person, it's always going to make a difference. But I think that the market today is looking for little-known stories, diverse voices. And by that, I mean, if you're based in Arkansas, um, or I think of the Tara Westover example for, of Educated, you know. There are some amazing blockbuster books, Where the Crawdags Sing, et cetera, that come from out of definitely not what we call the bi-coastal elite um, areas of, of, of uh, the state. So people are writing about all sorts of experiences, and those are resonating with a larger audience. I think publishers and agents are increasingly interested 
in those stories. Before we get into the book, my second question is always about your origin story. Before we talk your book and process and all that stuff, did you always want to be an agent? What was your career trajectory that kind of led you to where you are now, where not only are you an agent, but you're also at a point where you can publish a book about you know being an agent? Yeah, I love to tell the origin story, um, although those of my authors are even more fascinating. But I, I think that a couple things, one that might be applicable to people listening to this show, the sweet spot I've found for writers who are ripe for a book deal, and I do mean this more in the nonfiction sense, but it could possibly apply to fiction too, is about a decade into their careers. You know, um, it's, it's like they've accumulated this wisdom and this insider knowledge that really translates to the page. And, and their star is still rising. Like there's still more growth and there's still more that a publisher or agent can nurture. So um, in a similar fashion, I found I was a, about a decade into my career when I, when I got this very unexpected book deal. But backing up, like so many people in publishing, I was an aspiring writer uh, and you know, was journaling hopeful memoirs and poetry and submitting essays to The New Yorker from my garret apartment in Paris, trying to make a living. I mean, it was really a stereotype. And then, like so many publishing hopefuls, tried to enter as an editorial assistant, um, was able to really enter through the, the not the, the side door, is what I would say. One of my mentors, Dan Halpern, who used to run Echo Press, said, always enter through the side door in publishing, which which has sort of stuck with me and, and guided the way that I think about having writers enter as well. Um, anyway, I got in as a publicity assistant at HarperCollins, and I found that after my college education, I was suddenly in the mailroom just boxing packages and packages of Freakonomics because the book took off like wildfire, and suddenly my job was just to mail books. And uh, that was a that was sort of a boot like HarperCollins is a great boot camp for anyone working in publishing. I, I moved on to Scholastic. I worked in an online sales and marketing role. Uh, might sound boring, but actually incredibly educational in terms of teaching me about online marketing, which serendipitously became very important to authors. Right at the time, I decided, you know what? I'm a writer. I'm an editor. I'm a business person. There's this job called a literary agent, and I need to be that. So started working as an agent on commission, building a list. And very early into that, I mean, it's starting to sound like I just can't commit, and that's absolutely true. <laughs> but um, early into that career, I was 27, and I thought, I've got to start my own agency. You know, I came from an entrepreneurial background, and I thought, you know, I can do this. And the agency has pivoted several times over as the landscape has changed. I was uh, doing publicity for authors, alongside representation. Then we opened a speakers bureau in 2016. That's been really helpful for some of our authors who do speaking around the world. And then during the pandemic, I found myself giving classes to writers about how to get a book deal and get signed. Out of that, I thought I'd self-publish a book that would... Um, you know, that, w that was modeled after so many authors I'd worked with who had done exactly that for their businesses and developed sort of online marketing, you know, brands and books. But what ended up happening is I had a dinner with a publisher who's a friend of mine. And as I always advise writers, you got to talk about your book to anyone, to everyone, wherever you go. You just never know when you're going to make the right connection. So 
you know, I debated it. I was like, I'm not going to tell her about my silly little book that I'm, you know, writing on the side. <laughs> and I thought, you know, a second glass of wine. I'm like, I'm going to tell her about this silly little book I'm writing on the side. And she said, don't self-publish that. We want to commission it. And I just fell out of my seat. I was so shocked. And, um, and what a gift, right? For someone who's worked very hard to just drive results all my life to have this kind of fall into my lap. Um, and born from out of a passion of demystifying publishing for so many writers, for educating them, for, you know, getting their voices heard. I was just so sick of hearing from writers who couldn't even get responses from agents and didn't know what they were doing wrong. So that that's where this was all born. That's the origin story. And you actually beat me to my next question, which was kind of the origin story of how the book came about. I would love to just do a quick read through of a quote that I have. All aspiring authors know the value of a great literary agent, but few know how to get one. Lucinda Halpern has written the definitive guide to attracting an agent and laying the groundwork for a book well worth publishing. That's from Adam Grant, the number one New York Times bestselling author of Think Again and Hit Potential and host of the TED podcast, Rethinking. The book's been described on the website as a step-by-step guide from a New York literary agent that will show you how to create a winning concept, craft an irresistible pitch. What's it like when you release a book and you get such a, an amazing quote? What's your feeling there as you're kind of approaching the release date? Oh, I'm so touched that you read those quotes because it just brings me back to such a vulnerable moment that my authors have been in, which is reaching out to their network uh, for favors, for, for blurbs, right? Which, as we know, are so important in how a book is perceived. So Adam Grant is maybe on a top, you know, top three of authors I really admire and wish to work with, um, people just like him. And out of the kindness of his heart, because we know he has so many commitments, he read the book because he's got a list of like things that he He's like, I don't want your sample language. I am, I'm going to read every page if I'm considering it. And your chances of getting a blurb, just given my schedule, are, I think he's, he put it at 5% or something, which I thought was actually generous. When he came back and gave me this quote, it just meant the world. It was like the mark of, of validation. And of course, it's just been um, wonderful and how that's elevated perception. Likewise, Jenny Jackson on the fiction side She's a friend. Um, both of these guys interviewed for the book, by the way, and I can talk about the interviews in a second because it's one of my favorite parts of this book. But she's the best-selling author of Pineapple Street, a novel that is just still flying off shelves. Um, it's been a New York Times bestseller forever. And for her to also anoint this book as something that you know that all aspiring authors should read, it just—it's just like the greatest. Um, gift you can imagine. And again, I really relate to authors who are in the position of going out to their friends and colleagues for endorsements, or worse, approaching people blindly, because it is so humbling and so frightening. And it's kind of your first taste of rejection, right? (laughs) You know, you're going to get rejection and that it's just a very humbling moment. So thank you for reading those aloud. And you just said the words approaching people blindly, which would be a good transition into the contents of the book. I know there's a notion of how to get past the gatekeeper. So I would love to talk about how you A, find your writers. I know there has been the concept of the query letter for a while now. Is that still a thing? Is it still relevant? How does a writer reach out and how do you find your writers? And is there a best approach for someone to contact you? 
Yeah. So many places I want to begin answering that question, but maybe I'll begin here. The book itself, it's kind of counterintuitive or it's a little surprising that even though it seems to be about writing the perfect pitch, it's actually about writing the perfect book. So it's not a book on craft, but it turns out if you have the foundation for a big idea and a, you know, a target reader in mind and hunger in the market for it, and hopefully you have good writing um, or can pair yourself with a great writer, you are actually developing the foundation of a great book and the pitch becomes easy. But that's not to say that you shouldn't begin with the end in mind. You know, I encourage writers who are just beginning to build their book ideas or maybe they're finishing their manuscripts or they're halfway through. It's like you've got to be thinking crucially about that pitch. And what's the best way to be thinking about a pitch? Go to Amazon, look at any description of a title that has inspired you and see exactly how they are mooring you in, um, how they're intriguing you with their pitch. And then try to reverse engineer you know, the best components of your novel or your manuscript around it. I hope that sounded, you know, that sounded a little complicated the way I said it, but but it's it's actually intending or in the book, it, it tries to simplify that process. In terms of a query letter and is that still done, is it still relevant? You know, the funny thing, Court, you probably know this yourself or may remember this. People used to just mail in their manuscripts. An agent submissions would say, mail in your manuscript. I mean, it was, can you imagine how many manuscripts were flooding these agencies? And you might think, oh, it's better now. You just get to email someone. And it's not. Because in those days, someone would have to open those manuscripts, right? They'd have to peek at your title. They'd have to maybe flip a page. Now, your email could get caught in a spam filter. Or you could have the wrong subject line or the wrong, you know, some sort of turnoff. You might not have written it in a very captivating way. So it's actually harder, you know, not to, not to mention that there are millions of books being published every year. How do you grab an agent's attention from out of the slush pile? At my agency, we're getting, you know, 10 or more queries a day, right? And we're an agency of about eight people all in with only about four agents. So imagine those bigger agencies and what they're receiving and the kinds of the different gatekeepers you need to go through to get an actual agent's attention. So querying is alive and well. It's tougher than ever. There's an art and a science to it. I teach that in the book. And in terms of how I find my authors, so many of them come by referral. Um, and that's going to be the case for any agent you talk to. So I always say to writers, easiest thing to do is any author that you know, you know, again, you don't have to live in New York City to do this. Any author you know, see if you can get five minutes of their agent or their editor's time. Doesn't matter if their genre is not like yours. And get some advice, maybe get a connection, win that person over, show them you're talented, show them you're tenacious because tenacity is just as important as talent um, in the industry right now. And breakthrough in that in that personal way. So, you know, that's I'm really looking at my writers to refer other writers, but I'm also just like every editor and agent out there, I'm looking all over the place. We're looking on social media, we're reading the news, we're you know, some people are found on on Reddit, they're found because we're looking at a TED Talk, we go to an event, um someone wins an award, or someone's published in a literary magazine like your head's probably spinning from all the different ways that we are looking for talent. So the best advice I can give a writer is get seen, which is 
a chapter in the book all about how to get seen. Like, how do you begin to attract an agent's attention magnetically versus go after it? Um, Because that happens all the time. And I have plenty of clients who've signed up with us that way. Is there a percentage, you'd say, these days of you finding things on the internet, per se, versus those who are either referred to you or reach out to you? Yeah. I mean, we have a new agent in our firm. She's super talented and fantastic. And I would say that 80% of the pipeline she's building is coming from um, what we call scouting, You know, going out there and finding people who seem to have an existing audience and a lot of engagement around their ideas or their content. And then 20% of it, you know, she's also, she's looking through that slush pile. She's identifying the diamonds in the rough. And she's, of course, open to whoever is referred to her by a writer or someone in her network she trusts. So I think rising agents in particular are, you know, I don't know if that gives you hard statistics, but I think that it's, it's going to be about a third, a third, a third, your, your personal network your slush pile and people you're actively going after. Um, I think that would be right for a lot of agents. What about breaking the rules? I know that's something that yeah. you talk about. When is it okay for you know a writer to break the quote-unquote rules, whether it's reaching out after rejection, anything like that? Are there examples you've seen that might inspire writers to kind of think outside sure. of the box? Yeah, absolutely. Such a fun question. Like, I, if you could see me right now, I'm smiling so wide because it's it's just I'm contrarian by nature, and I love contrarian authors. And so, rule breakers are you know completely. I would say the more rules you break, the better. <laughs> I admire you more. Um, but you know, in terms of like what those rules are, I, I actually want to get back to to how I set this up in the book, which is I talk about the four types of writers who get book deals, and this is one of the most fun elements of it because you get to read the book and discover which type of writer you are. And I do some live events on this too. And the four types are the ideator, the everywhere so someone who has an audience, the data collector, and the crusader. And I think of the crusader as the rule breaker, the person who is just not going to take no for an answer, who's going to find some innovative, creative way to get through to, you know, through that gate to the person that they want to reach. And who's just going to keep coming back at you with ideas until they get through. So the biggest rule that I want writers to break is to stop being passive and stop thinking that, you know, whether this is conscious or unconscious, there is this sense of an agent is on a pedestal and I'm here down below. And, you know, they're not talking to me because they don't find interest in my work. And this is like, I want to put a big X on this frame of mind, it's more that we have not seen your email the first time. Uh, so you're going through our query portal, and maybe it came at a moment that there was some client emergency, or the intern was out of the office, or it was a holiday. I mean, there's so many reasons for why a query doesn't make it to an agent the first round. So I say break all the rules. I mean, you'll see agency guidelines that are so wonky, make no sense. It's like, give me your sales handle and your track record. It's like, what? what is this jargon? Um, and you've got to now reconstruct all of your creative genius around some formality or presentation. We're not going to turn you down if we've identified the next Stephen King because you didn't follow our template. So, you know, I just think it's... Um, it's humorous, but it's more so unfortunate that writers feel they need to be within this like sort of stiff presentation 
that is forced by these agency guidelines and then kind of cower at the idea that an agent might get mad at them if they follow up or that, you know, if they've submitted poorly in some way, it's just not going to happen. The worst that you can get if you follow up is no response and guess what you were getting that the first time so you're 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 no better off it's um it's and you give yourself a better shot by doing that follow-up so that's probably the the first rule i'd break there are a number of others that i get into i'm trying to think of some examples um and the best examples i have are writers who actually went onto publishers marketplace the best resource you could find because it gives and I don't, maybe your writers who are listening know this or they don't. For a very small annual fee, it gives you a newsletter you get every day where you can see what's selling and who's selling what in the industry trends and breaking news in the industry. And you get access to everyone's email, not their query portal, their direct email. So those submissions, maybe I shouldn't be saying this to your thousands of writers, but, <laughs> but those submissions that come through my personal inbox, it's like, they're usually getting my attention because they're not going through some complicated query process. Uh, so it's just like a writer's secret gem if they can get a subscription to Publishers Marketplace. At Lucinda Literary, which is the name of my company, we have scrapped our older query portal in favor of a submissions form that makes it really short and sweet and easy for you to submit and for us to read on the other side. So. If you go to our submissions page, you're going to find that form, and we hope it's a lot less onerous for you. I love that. Let's move on to the actual writing of a book or writing of a work. You know, the big ideas and how to write a perfect book, writing a timeless bestseller. Mm. From your perspective, I know it's such an open-ended kind of concept, but are there things that, just from your experience, that you would suggest, or are there you know, just inherently things about certain ideas that work and that don't work for those writers who are listening who are like, oh, I wonder if the project that I'm working on is marketable or is an idea that someone might or an agent might find, you know, potentially sellable, so to speak. Yeah, great question. So it's, I'm going to give you a very simple answer. I hope it's not, um, <laughs> I hope it's, I hope it's the answer you're looking for. If you are a fantastic writer, Nothing else matters in my view. For fiction, this is this is completely the case. And and for the book, I did these interviews with like twenty people in the industry, best-selling authors, uh, notable editors who've been in the business for years and years, and um, agents. And each of them will tell you that they look at their slush files, they take on new writers, and that a great story told beautifully is all they need to hook them. So this notion, again, this obsession with marketability, I think is a, is a false concept. Um, of course, it matters more when you're writing nonfiction of a certain kind, like if you're an expert, uh, but you don't have that PhD or you haven't run a company for years or you know, you're not a legendary biographer or New Yorker journalist. If you don't have those sorts of credentials, you're going to need to prove it through your social media following or in some other way. But for fiction writers and memoir writers, it's all about the read. And that is what editors will tell you time and time again. Now, does this tell you, because then of course your writers are going to be asking like, well, am I a good writer? Am I not? (laughs) Best way to figure that out is before you go to an agent, workshop the heck out of your manuscript. You know, I used... um, a reader's uh, committee for my own book before I delivered it to my editor. I had 15 people 
trusted skeptical readers, right? Not my not my friends and family who are going to write me flowery praise, but people who are going to actually poke holes and see what's wrong and what are the, why are the kinks that I need to iron out in this manuscript. And I can't recommend that more highly. You know, when you are approaching agents, you've got to have that manuscript so pat, you know, so edited to the extent of your abilities and that inner circle is going to be the judge of whether this is really well written enough to get an agent's attention. So it's you know I'm answering your question in a hopefully in an encouraging and hopeful way, which is you have to focus on what you do best as a writer. If as a nonfiction writer you want to think about what's the big idea here, which is a question that I'm asked by editors day in day out, I want you to think around what's timely and what's timeless. So maybe a a more accessible way of understanding that is to get the word out about a first-time author, publishers need to know that the media is going to get behind this book. It's not just what, you know, the author's network that's going to buy this to the tune of 40,000 copies. You need media to really push the, you know, to really fuel the engine for sales of this book, which means that you've got to be entering a conversation that is timely, you know, something that a topic of interest that there's a lot of social media chatter or news headlines or a trend that you're just sort of like, that's sort of bubbling to the surface because publishers are futurists. They want to, they want to think like trendsetter, you know, they want authors who are trendsetters. So that's what I mean about the timely aspect and the timeless is what are those universal themes that have always appealed to humanity, right? Is it the, you know, is it the underdog story? Is it the coming of age? Is it the love and loss? You know, it's always a transformation of some kind. There's always an arc of some kind. So if you can think with those elements in mind, you know, the universal and then your unique point of view, your unique spin or slant on something now you've really walked this wonderful balance of something that feels popular and familiar to us, but has a new twist. And that's really what I want you to focus on, particularly if you're writing nonfiction. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favourite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favourite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favourite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favourite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickr and Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. 
So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. You mentioned sometimes you need to prove your numbers, your mm. social platforms, all these kind of things. Is there a particular place that a writer should be? I know it differs for nonfiction and fiction when they're ready to find an agent versus on the number side, from your perspective, are there certain key milestones, certain, you know, should a certain person have a certain number of followers? Is there a gauge for where someone could say, okay, I think maybe I'm close to that. I can feel comfortable about approaching someone and being happy with where I'm at, whether it's a social following or, you know, otherwise. Yep. Yep. So again, court, big myth I want to bust because I meet with writers all the time, fiction writers who say, what about my platform? Do I have the right social media platform? And I'm like, why are you so concerned about that? You know, I'm genuinely confused because going back to what I said before, the writing is everything in the fiction and memoir genre. That's not to say that if you don't have an existing audience on Reddit or Twitter or TikTok, that we are not really drawn to that, right? But the aspects of your platform become more about, have you published in publications? Have you won awards before for a short story or something you know, related to your genre? Do you have a network of authors in your you know, sort of bigger name authors who could lend endorsements or support you through their social media platforms? That's where, those are the metrics more for fiction um, writers and memoirists. If you're looking at nonfiction, there's not a particular platform. I'd say that you know, agents at my firm and agents at, at similar firms are looking really at TikTok and uh, Instagram, first and foremost. But anyone who's going to be interested in your work, we're going to Google you. So rather than focus on social media, what does your Google footprint like? look like? Do you, is there enough recognition to prove to an agent or a publisher that you have some sort of existing audience? Or are we going to have to create that for you? Because newsflash, you know, publishers don't create that for authors anymore. Authors need to come in with some sort of ready-made audience. And, um, you know, again, that platform can be evaluated in so many different ways, depending on the genre you're, you're writing in. But that's the key part to keep in mind. It's like, What's the audience for this? And, you know, if you're a fiction writer, I'm giving away way too much of the book. That's what I'm feeling as I'm saying all this. <laughs> but, uh, but if you're a fiction writer and you, um, you don't have that platform and you don't have those accolades and you're just relying on your great writing, you know, you, you can also be pointing to comps, comparative titles, to say that there is a demonstrable interest and popularity in exactly this kind of book. And that can go a long way in proving your existing audience or your you know, potential audience. So there are a lot of different ways to make the case. And, and Get Signed is about the shortcuts we as agents ourselves use, which I've just given you now in this, in this podcast a bit, because there just is not one single, you've got to have millions of followers on YouTube or, or Twitter. You know, that's, that's a nice to have, for certain genres, it's not a need to have for fiction and memoir. I would love to also ask, just in general, for writers, what are some common pitfalls and errors that they should avoid in general? We talked a lot so far about things they could do and should do and that kind of thing, but are there any things they should definitely avoid? I mean, the first is the most obvious, but you'd be so surprised how often we see it, which is a confusion of the names of the agencies. So we have people 
you know, they'll email me, but they're actually querying another agent. Um, they'll misspell a name, you know, just like immediately sets them on the wrong foot. So I'd hate to see you do that. But I also understand your fatigue. If you're out there querying 50 agents, you know, maybe there's a typo once in a while. And again, we're not going to hold that against you if you're the next Stephen King, right? So um, don't sweat that too much. But common errors, you know, again, if we're focusing on fiction, coming down more to the craft and the writing itself, Something that doesn't feel engrossing, riveting, cinematic in the way that a movie would, because as agents, when we're looking at fiction, we're thinking feature, we're thinking film. How does this translate to the screen? Because that's really the long tail um, for for novelists today, right? So, if you're not moving at a sort of pace and plotting that actually works for that format, it's going to be very tough to sell your work, right? I love literary fiction. Very hard to sell as a debut author unless you're already writing for The New Yorker and have all of these like sort of writing accolades behind you. I'd focus on action-packed. Uh, so, so similarly, using that sort of like the book foundation actually creates the pitch, your pitch is your movie trailer. It's got to feel like, okay, we're moving from here, we're moving to there. You know, Ann Patchett says every book has a beginning, a middle, and an end. If we are not seeing that arc... In the query letter for your novel, it's like, okay, I don't really know what happened after they characterized all of these different things that are happening and all of these, you know, this character is, is beautifully painted or it's a coming of age novel, but I don't really know where, when, why, who, you know, what I call the five W's. It's like, just answer those for me in your pitch and you've, you've already solved the first problem of telling me what your book is. So you know, that's a common error. And, and you'd be surprised, right? Court, like, why am I leaving a pitch letter not understanding what the book is? But it, it really happens a lot. Um, people, a, a huge mistake I don't want to see writers make is they hesitate and refrain from naming a genre or naming comps because they are scared of getting it wrong. And I say, think about this like an SAT test. You can afford to get it wrong. You cannot afford to leave it blank. It's you know, first of all, the most strategic thing to do is if you're querying an agent you really want, you should probably think about comps and genres that are, you know, comparable to the ones they represent and maybe tailor your letter accordingly. Um, because again, those are things that you will take up in development with an agent or an editor. So you don't have to belabor that, like, maybe I'm getting this wrong rather than leaving it blank, which leaves an agent who's overly subscribed to do that guesswork for you, right? We've it, it, publishing's a look-alike business. We've got to look at what we're seeing in front of us and make an immediate judgment. This looks a lot like X, something that I, as an agent, have had a lot of success with. So I'm now going to give you know I'm going to take a risk on this writer and have a conversation. So you know those are those are three simple. I think I've got about I've got at least seven of them in the book, and I've got about ten more in my mind. So <laughs> how long do you have? <laughs> Um, but those, but those are a few of the common errors we see a lot. We don't want to give too much of the book away, so I would love to talk right before we get to some bonus questions. Your plan, your vision for a writer once you sign them, once they start working with you, what does it look like from the first day that you sit down and maybe start to plan out the trajectory of their career versus where you want them to go, and what's that long run look like? I know you mentioned turning a book into a film and that kind of thing, so. Once someone does get their foot in the door, get past the gatekeeper, so to speak, 
What does your vision for that look like? And what does a writer have to look forward to? Oh my gosh. I love that question. I haven't been asked that on a podcast before. You know, I was thinking today, um, because of course this book launch is taking a lot of my oxygen and I was thinking, gosh, I can't wait to get back to normal life and just, you know, being with my clients all the time because my clients are my best friends and um, many of them. And, you know, it just, I love them to death. I'm so admiring of their talents. And frankly, all of those that I've, that were generous enough and, and believing enough to sign with me when I was 27, starting Lucinda Literary, and have since enjoyed multi-book careers and, and that we've been on that elevator up together. It's like they created this for me, right? I didn't create it myself. So um, that's the love piece, right? There's the love. And when you sign up with a client, it's you sign the contract and you you literally have a party, right? Writers go out onto social media and they say, I got signed and they're spreading the word. It's it's almost as exciting, if not more exciting than getting the book deal, because it's just that preliminary moment of a partnership that someone validates and shares your vision, which is, as you know, as a creative is so super important, right? Um, so first you're signing up, you're, you're celebrating, you're popping the champagne. And then of course, after that contract is signed, we are getting really editorial with you. So usually the manuscript or the proposal hasn't come to us in a shape that we can actually just stamp our you know email address on it and send it out to editors. We are doing exactly what you've been doing for the last several months, and we're editing it, and we're developing the pitch, and we're talking about what that submission package looks like, and what is that big idea, and can we crystallize it further? And that's where I, you know, marketing and titles and big ideas that's like completely my jam where i want to lend most value to writers like being a big picture thinker while they're in the weeds of of the creative um so you know we're working on that editorial process together one of my clients it's a fun story to tell in terms of illustrating you know what the what the career trajectory looks like he had a book proposal and he's a PhD, so it makes complete sense, you know. And all of my authors are super ambitious. And we said to him, me and his editor, we're like, this is not, this is not one book. This is three books. So he and I had to parse out this proposal he handed me into three different books and sell them. We're now two book deals into this multi, you know, multi-book contract with Simon and Schuster. How funny is that? And how wonderful is that that we were able to take one idea and monetize it for, you know, twice the amount of money. Um, it also, for many of my authors, leads to a speaking career, right? Which is really where, really where they begin to enjoy, um, you know, the success of having a published book and being a recognized expert. And likewise, for our fiction authors, they're being invited to conferences and um, they're getting sort of like celebrity attention and, you know, book club picks. And um, it's, it's, it's just, it's exciting, right? Like that's, that's sort of where an agent is seeing them as a baby author. We are seeing you on NPR. We're seeing you um, on GMA. We are seeing the throngs of people at a book event that you do. And yeah, of course we're thinking about the film deal, right? So agents at Lucinda Literary and plenty of other agencies, we work with co-agents in Hollywood here in New York, producers, and the whole idea is how to option those books for film, you know, and not all of them get made, but it's a really, again, that's like just such another celebratory moment for an author. And I always say again at our agency, it's like, we're not thinking about book one, we're thinking about book three, 
we're thinking about how does this book factor into a larger career for you? And my every conversation when I'm interviewing a writer, and by the way, it's an interview on both sides, right? As writers, you should be interviewing agents and we're interviewing you is like, what's, what's your goal for, you know, what's your goal for this career? Like, where do you want, what's your, I don't want to force them with the five-year plan question, but an editor will, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? What would you like to see happen? And, and many authors who have a vision can answer this pretty clearly. Like they already have that self-belief, which is the immediate sign of an author who's going to be successful. And my very last question before we hop into those two bonus questions and unfortunately come to a close is for you yourself, what is the long-term, what is the goal? You've already done so much. You're clearly very passionate about what you do. And it's so clear, it just brings you joy. So for you, you know, when you go to the office or you know, start your day, what do you think about where you're headed and where you want to be? Yeah, again, what an interesting thing being the author and the agent, because there are full days, nights, and weekends where I am living in my client's head, right? I am so fiercely advocating for their interests or I'm editorially developing something, so I'm problem-solving my mind, having some sort of light bulb idea like, we've got to do that, or this is the pitch. And and that can be so fun, right? Um, Hard to pry away from that. But then as the author, it's a whole different thing. It's like this notion of getting to speak with you, Court, and getting up on large stages and really touching writers, you know, impacting them, educating them is exactly where I see myself in five years. Like, this is just the beginning as every book launch is just the beginning for the authors that I work with in terms of really putting them on the map. you know. So for us, it's finding our ideal clients by way of having a resource on Amazon that nothing has been written like this by an actual you know, agent in the trenches, right? There's been plenty written by coaches and authors, but there hasn't been something written by a New York agent who's doing this day in and day out. So we want to be that one-stop destination and resource and attract our ideal clients to us. But I also, you know, have these coaching programs and classes and I I love meeting with as many writers as possible and empowering them so that they leave that room even after 45 minutes feeling like they can get an agent, get a book deal, become a published author. There is nothing more rewarding than inspiring and motivating writers in that way to me. So yeah, five years from now, it's like uh, the Marie Forleo of books. Love that. Let's hop into a couple quick bonus questions. The first one is, if you could take any writer living or dead to any fast food restaurant, it doesn't have to be fast food, which writer would you choose? Which restaurant? Why? Oh my God, what a question. Living or dead? Does the writer have to be living? Um, <laughs> uh, wow. I mean... Interesting. What a question. I'm trying to think of someone who... Okay, here, I've got one for you. Again, you didn't give me any prep for this question, Court. It's very hard to ask an agent to choose an author they admire. (laughs) Be one of your clients. What did you say? Oh, one of my clients to sit down with? It can't be. It can't be. No, of course it can't be. No, 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 no. Okay, so I would love... I would... Gosh, I would love to meet Ann Patchett. I've always loved her work. I love the diversity of her work. I love her journalism career, how she got started, you know, the magazine article she wrote, and then how she's had this career in both fiction and nonfiction so fluently, can write so well in both categories, is able to produce 
work so prolifically and then has really just just like me as we're talking about has really like done some mission you know some missionary work for writers in starting her bookstore um i think that's part of i think she's part of a foundation as well so like she's giving back to writers and i i just think that's tremendous it's like she's a she's a thought leader for writers but she's also this prolific and talented writer herself in several different areas um and she's done it here's another reason i admire her it's like she's been that way since she was young and she writes just as well now that she's older it's like her star just continues to rise there is no age horizon to it so she would be someone and you're going to ask me a restaurant i would take her well I'd have to take her to Jean Georges. Like I'd have to take her to you know New York's finest restaurant. I, I don't. Um, is that where I'd take her? I don't know. Ann Patchett, from what I read of her, she isn't she isn't a fancy woman. Maybe she'd uh, prefer something more down to earth. So I'd I'd have to think more about that. But you know, gosh, just to just to spend time with her and pick her brain would just be amazing. Love that. The last, or I should say, the second of the bonus questions, which I ask everyone, and always the last question. If you could choose one learning or insight from your entire career to pass along to the writers who are listening right now, what's the one thing you would say? So there's no closed door. You know, I say that, uh, well, gosh, I'm now struggling to say like five things, but I can say two. There's no closed door. It is a long and winding road. If it's right for you to self-publish because you're just not getting traction, but you really believe in your book and you need you want it out tomorrow, it's like, go ahead and self-publish. Don't wait for the world to see how great you are. Just go do it. You mentioned Jane Allen, uh, who's the the author of Black Girls Must Die Exhausted. She she was self-published, you know, and then and then I found her and we connected, and now she's got multiple books with HarperCollins and a you know, a TV deal and, and all the rest. So it's like those dreams do happen. They happen every day to first-time authors. There is no closed door, you know. And the other thing is, and, and possibly writers in your audience have heard this, it just takes one, right? I, I knocked on every agent's door when I wanted to be an agent. And I had no experience doing it. Everyone turned me down. There was one agent who was like, you know what? I'm going to give you a chance. Um, she did, and then look where I am now. So it's like, you just need one person to believe in you. Love that. Well, Lucinda, thank you so much for taking the time. The very, very, very last question is, did you have fun today talking to me about being an agent and your book and talking about writers, getting a foot in the door, all these fun topics? Did you have fun talking about this stuff? Oh, I could talk about this with you for another three hours and then do five more interviews like this. This is my favorite thing to talk about. So I appreciate your having me on court. Absolutely. We'll have to have you back on to continue the conversation. Congrats on your book. Lucinda's new book, Get Signed, Find an Agent, Land a Book Deal, Become a Published Author, releases through Hay House and Penguin Random House on February 6th. That's coming up super soon. And if you're listening, check it out. Why wouldn't you learn the insights? learn from the book, learn from Lucinda and enjoy it. And yeah, if you want to learn more about the book, go to getsignedbook.com or lucindaliterary.com and follow Lucinda Helpern on Instagram and Twitter. Lucinda, did I name everything there? Is there anything else, any other plugs or things you'd want to shout out before we go? Oh, thanks so much. Um, just that if you go to getsignedbook.com, we've got a number, we've got like a free training that's pretty fun. There's a workbook companion to get signed so you can actually do some of the exercises on paper. 
there's a bunch of uh, videos if you want to hear more from me. Um, we've got events going on all the time at Lucinda Literary. So there's a lot to check out. We're not a traditional literary agency, and we kind of love that. Well, thank you, Lucinda, for your insights and your time. It's been an honor, and I had a lot of fun. And it's clearly so evident that you love and are passionate about what you do. So thank you for sharing you. Uh, insights and your energy with us. We appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Court. Appreciate it. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.